Morning. I'm glad that you're here today. We want to welcome you and all those who are worshiping with us online. Now, you know, we have a beach service. We call it Worship at the Water. Today, it was Worship in the Water. Some of you coming to church, it was Worship in the Water. I saw people coming in, and they were a little bit wet, a little moist coming into the first service because there was a downpour. I got up early this morning at 5.30, took my shower, and then I got dressed, and I went and opened the blinds of the back door. And about that time, a huge thunder and lightning experience happened, and I levitated about four feet off the floor right there. You could have seen a miracle right there. I was, And Laura <laughs> was in bed, and she came running in there and said, was that in our backyard? I said, well, it sure sounded like it, didn't it? But anyway, you're here, so look at the person next to you and say, I will see you in heaven because these are the people who will be in heaven right here. They'll venture out during a rainstorm. And what, by the way, did you notice that we've continued the awning all the way from this door all the way to the back? back? How about that? Yeah. We've been working on that. We finally got that done, and we're so grateful to have that completed. And, boy, it comes in handy, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'm glad that you're here. Now, listen, I want to talk to you today about something Jesus did that was really radical. And to, to do that, I want to tell you a little story at the beginning, okay, to kind of set the stage. I want you to get ready. So just take a deep breath. <sighs> Sit back and relax. I'm going to talk to you, okay? When I first moved to the Auburn, Opelika area, the people came to me in the church and they said, Preacher, we got to know something. I said, what's that? They said, we got to know, are you Auburn or are you Alabama? That's what they wanted to know about me. And I said, well, I don't know how to tell you this because you can, you can offend half the church with whatever your answer is, right? I said, I got to tell you the truth. I'm a Tennessee fan. Oh, no, they said, that's even worse, a Tennessee fan. I said, yeah, that's who I am. Well, then they asked me another question. They said, well, we got to know, are you traditional or are you contemporary? And I said, no, I am Great Commission." Now, they didn't know what that was. Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. Before Jesus went to heaven, he gave us some homework. I'm going to talk about that today in my sermon. It was a radical concept when he was talking to folks in that day about what it meant to be a person who followed him. And so I want you to learn about this. It's going to be empowering to you. Now, you know how sometimes what happens is that we get kind of used to doing things the way we do them? Have you ever noticed that? I'm a creature of habit. I get my system down just so. And then God sometimes comes along and he says, you know, I'm going to do a new thing. And we're going, no, no, we just got used to the old thing. Don't be doing any new things. Let's just stick with what we got because that's what we know. But God does that. Let me give you an example. When I grew up back in the day, I moved to McMinnville, Tennessee when I was in the sixth grade. We went to a downtown High Steeple, Pop Organ, First Methodist Church, okay? And we had church back in the 60s at what time? That's exactly right, as God intended, 11 o'clock. You can't have church because God can't go any other time of the day except 11 o'clock, right? That's when everybody went to church. And so you didn't have to ask. And there were families there, and there were husbands and wives and children. And back then, everybody had about four or five kids, you know. And so you'd sit on the pew with your parents, and everybody was dressed up, and the place was packed. And you had one service. You went to Sunday school right before that. Everything worked out. And then something happened. They started doing multiple services. And I was serving a new church in Navarre, Florida, and I was talking to this guy, and he was a pastor, and his church had been one that had grown. And I said, let me ask you a question. I said, we got one service at 11 o'clock. We're not completely full, but we're about 80% full, and we got people joining all the time, but we've kind of plateaued. I said, what do we do? He said, well, you need to start going uh, another service. You need to start another service. I said, well, when do we need to do that? He said, right now. I said, it's June. 
People don't go to church in June. It's the summertime. I don't think this is a good time. What do you know about it anyway, okay? And he said, no, you need to do it right now. So we did. And I went to some of the folks in the church, and I said, okay, here's what I need you to do. I need a group of you to come out of 11 o'clock and go to 830 so that we can build that first service. And then after one year, you can go back to 11 o'clock, okay? So sure enough, we did that. And you know what happened? We got about the same amount of people at 8.30 as we did at 11 after a year. And we had, that thing had grown. It had doubled in size, okay? And I went back to those folks and I said, I'm a man of my word. I ask you to make a one-year commitment. Your commitment is over. You can go back to 11 o'clock. Do you know what those people said to me? 11 o'clock? Why would we go at 11 o'clock? Have you lost your mind? Don't you know God goes at 8.30? That's the time we go. We go, we go to Sunday school, then we got the rest of the day. We can go to the beach, we can do whatever. 11 o'clock, that's lunchtime. What's wrong with you? So then we went along like that for a while, and then we, we plateaued again. And so then what do we do? Well, we had to start a third service at 9.45. Well, that was the holy hour. That was Sunday school. You can't mess with that, right? We said, what are we going to do? We're going to offer more than one Sunday school class. Wait a minute. One, more than one Sunday school hour? Can you do that? Can God go to that? Okay, we'll do it. And so that kind of fed. And so what we did was we started one at 945. Now, here's what happened ultimately. What happened ultimately was that we had three services and then a fourth because we had a, a service at seven for the golfers because we were in this tiny little building. That's right. That's the truth because that's just the kind of people we were. You know what I'm saying? So we had four services and then I would die every Sunday after it was over. But then we started doing multiple Sunday school. What happened was we had more people in worship and more people in Sunday school than we'd ever had because we what? We changed. We just did something new. God did something new. And so, you know, back in the day, you would come into church and you had a little bitty narthex, just this little bitty room where the usher would give you a bulletin and then you'd go into church. You had one service. When the service was over, you could stand around and talk and visit in the worship center, right? Well, then with multiple services, these people started drawing churches and they started designing them with what they call gathering rooms. They said, okay, y'all are in this service. When it's over, go in there in the gathering room and visit because we got to do another service and we got stuff to do, okay? And that's what happened. And so they started making the lobby, the narthex, the whole area much bigger so that people could stay and visit and, and meet together. Now, that was all something that took place. And they, then they came along and they said, we're going to change worship styles. We're going to have traditional, but we're also going to have contemporary. And we started doing that as well. And guess what happened? We grew. And, and we did that because we what? We changed, right? Because it didn't cost us any more money to have multiple services. We were using the same folks, just do it over again. That was a lot cheaper than building another building, right? And so we're a seven-day-a-week church now. Now, COVID has kind of put a a lid on that a little bit. COVID occasionally messes with us and, and makes things difficult. Some people are not able to come. Here's what I noticed this morning, two things. Number one, when I was talking to people before the service and during the service, they were asking me questions. And then they said, somebody showed up and they said, I thought the service started at 10. I said, meaning traditional. I said, no, it was at nine. This one's at 10.15. So we changed our worship times. That's one thing because of COVID, we didn't need as many services. We do have the beach service, and we do have another service here at noon that Beacon Light does. It's a great service as well. But here's the point. People are still learning. What time do we meet, okay? The other thing is, they did ask me this question, so they were looking. There were some people walking, going to the worship center, and we were getting ready to have this service. I said, y'all looking for church? They said, yeah, it's back there. They said, who's preaching? 
I said, uh, well, who would you like to preach? I said, uh, I'm preaching this to give you a fair warning. You can go back to your car and leave. But, but they came there sitting right up front here today. No, 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 we watch you online. We want to come. So they came. That's one thing. Second thing is we don't pass the plates because of COVID. So people don't really know how to give because they're asking me questions about that. So that's important for us to realize, and it's a challenge, but we're trying to do what we can do. Now, here's the point. You and I are living in a COVID world, right? God's still on the throne. He's still got power. He's still doing what he's doing. He just called us to be faithful and obedient to him. There are some things that are happening around us. Well, that doesn't change what we do. We just keep doing what we're doing. So you help me get the word out. What time do we worship? And yes, we do allow you to make contributions still. That is possible and it is permitted. Now, here's what I want you to see. If you're not a particularly religious person, or if you were and you walked away from it, I'm sure you had a good reason. But today, I want to give you a good reason to come back and reconsider faith. And more importantly, to reconsider Jesus. Because that's what we're talking about. Throughout this series, we've said... Jesus came to introduce something brand new to the world and for the world, to the world and for the world. And that's really what this message is all about. It's about this new thing that Jesus was doing. And the most amazing thing is, against all odds, a band of Jewish blasphemers were following a dead carpenter, and they went into the streets of Jerusalem, and they didn't have any territory or military or sacred text, and they had the audacity to announce that the Messiah had come, that the one who was the perfect sacrifice for sins, not just for the Jewish people, but for all the whole world, we know who that is. And now that flew right in the face of the Roman and the Greek and the Egyptian and the Jewish religions, the people of that day. And the whole world looked at this group of followers and said, well, now, hey, who died and left you in charge? Well, I'll tell you, Jesus died and left them in charge. That's who died and left them in charge. And he gave us some homework, and we're going to talk about that today before he went to heaven, and it's still applicable today. It's still what we are called as Christians to do. Now, the most amazing thing is that 347 years later, without any territory or any military or any authority, in the year A.D. 380, Emperor Theodosius, through the Edict of Thessalonica, declared, now get this, that Christianity was the sole religion of the very empire that crucified Jesus and tried to crush his movement. That's how things had changed so dramatically since Jesus was crucified. That's unimaginable. And it was unimaginable for John the Baptist when he was standing waist deep in water and he was baptizing people. And then he looked up and saw Jesus. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And sure enough, something happened. After Jesus came on the scene, after he did what he did in his ministry and he ascended to heaven, something changed. People became Christians. The Christian faith grew tremendously, even under persecution. And pagan temples began to be torn down because of Christianity. And pagan temples began to be repurposed to be houses of worship for Christians. And ultimately, get this, pagan worship in the Roman Empire was outlawed because of Christianity. And is that a radical change or is that a radical change? all because a group of people declared the final sacrifice for sin had come. 
and nothing could shut them up. They said, we're going to kill you. They said, you can kill us, but you can't stop this movement. And it just kept going. And in the end, not only did they win an empire, but they, their message went around the world, and it's still going around the world today. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I do that sometimes. Y'all ever do that? Jesus had been baptized. He had been tempted, and he had gathered some followers. He went to Peter and Andrew and James and John. And the Bible tells us in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. They said, we got this new teacher, <clears throat> this new rabbi. He doesn't teach like anybody else who's ever taught. He teaches with authority. They said, he must be a prophet. And they viewed Jesus as an extension of something old, but really, he came to present something new. In fact, the Bible says of Jesus in Luke, the seventh chapter, they were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said God has come to help his people. Now, God had come to help his people, but Jesus came to do a lot more than that. And he came not just for the Jewish people, but he came for a much broader audience now. This was going to be open to the whole world. So very early in his teaching, Jesus began to drop hints, and he began to say things like, something new is coming. There's going to be some changes. It's going to be different than what you've been taught, the way you've been raised, the way you've been brought up, all the things that were important, the things that you believe. It's going to be different. And he was good and powerful, and he healed people. So they stuck with him because they were so amazed at what he did. And he began to teach something new. And then there was the Sermon on the Mountain. We call that the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what happened. When Jesus preached that sermon, there was a sharp curve in the direction of everything. Everything changed with that. In fact, scholars believe that the content of the Sermon on the Mount was something that Jesus taught and preached repeatedly over and over and over again because it was the main message he was trying to get over to the people. He would know that he taught that. And it said, you know, they, they said that what I want you to understand is that not everything he taught is right there available to us because he said so much, there's no way that we could get everything down. In fact, John said, if we had written down everything he had done and taught, the world would not be able to contain it in books. What was he saying? He was saying, we gave you the highlights. We tried to give you the most important thing so that you could take it. And this, all these years later, we could learn from it. We could apply it. We could do it in our lives. And here's what he did. He came with a whole new worldview. See, worldview for all had been power up here, and it trickled down to the rest of the folks. And the one in charge said, I'm the king. And so what's going to happen is y'all are going to bow down and serve me. And you may have to die for me because I'm in power. And Jesus came with a whole upside down view. And he said, no, no, no. Here's what I want you to understand. I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to get up underneath your burden and help you carry it. And I am going to die for you. And that was unheard of. That wasn't a kingdom they had ever seen before. And, and they had a hard time wrapping their minds around that concept. And here's what it said in Luke 6. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
Now, what I want you to understand is back in the day when he said that, that was totally opposite of what they believed. You see, when they looked at life, they said, well, people who are rich are blessed. They're the ones that God blesses. He doesn't bless the poor. Look at them. And so that was their whole mentality. If you're rich, you're blessed by God. I mean, they looked at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon. They said they were all rich and they had power and they had special favor. God didn't give special favor to the poor. The poor are out of favor with God. Hey, we've been taught that all our lives. We know how that works. Instead, he said, blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of God. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the meek. They're going to inherit the earth. He said, blessed are the merciful. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the power brokers. They are in God's favor. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. Pure in heart, that's kind of an internal thing. How do you know if somebody's pure in heart? They've been taught all their lives that blessed are the ceremonially clean. Blessed are the ceremonially pure. You're blessed if you've done all the right washings. You're blessed if you're not contaminated, you stay away from things. You're blessed if you stay away from the Gentiles and don't act like them. You don't want to be around them. You never touch dead things. That's the way to be blessed. And those are the people who are pleasing God. But Jesus said, nope, things are changing. We got a new thing going on. And then he really blew their minds in Matthew, the fifth chapter, when he said this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And they thought, wait a minute. We're not the salt of the earth. We're not the light of the world. We have been taught to stay away from the world. We don't dress like them. We don't wear their clothes. We don't eat their food. We don't let our daughters marry their sons, and we don't let our sons marry their daughters. We've been taught since childhood to stay away from anything that's Gentile. And now you're telling us we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And he goes on and he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Others? Others? Now, wait a minute. Our light's not supposed to shine to anybody but Jewish people. We don't even like others. In fact, what we'd like for God to do is get rid of the others and put us back in power again so we can be in charge. And he goes on, he says, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And now they thought, well, we don't care if outsiders glorify God. We want outsiders to fear God like in the days of Joshua when we had power, the days of David and Solomon when we were in charge. And they thought to themselves, this is not very messianic. We don't like it very much. And this doesn't sound like Moses. Moses taught something different. And he was one of the prophets. And Jesus knew that. And here's what he said. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a minute and explain something to you, okay? So I'm going to explain it, all right? Here's the deal. During the first century, the Jewish people did not call their Bible the Old Testament, okay? Because it wasn't old, it was the Testament, okay? In fact, Christians are the ones who started calling the Old Testament the Old Testament. That was about 130 A.D., and that was long after this was taking place. Jewish people in the first century referred to the sacred, sacred scripture, to the law, to the words of the prophets, which included history and poetry and everything basically that we would consider the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Covenant. 
because it wasn't an old covenant. It was the current covenant, okay? And Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish your Bible. I didn't come to destroy it or change it or edit it. Now, why would he say this? Because when they heard his message, they thought that was what he meant. He goes on to say, I didn't come to abolish the law, but the tension that you feel in the words I'm saying and what you've always practiced is real. And then he said this, change is coming. And then listen, now listen, catch this. He said, I'm not going to change what you've always been taught. And then he said, I'm going to challenge you to abandon what you've always been taught. Now that is radical. He said, I'm not come to abolish it. I have come to fulfill it. In other words, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets assigned an assignment. Jesus said, I am here to complete it. He goes on to say in verse 18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smaller letter, smallest letter nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished, until everything is accomplished. None of that's going to disappear. None of that's going to change until everything is accomplished. And so here's what I want you to focus on. And it was unimaginable to them. They could not fathom it. Jesus, you're telling us that our whole understanding of God is going to disappear. That is impossible. But just 40 years later, in August the 6th, 70 AD, at the hands of Titus and the 10th Roman Legion, ancient Judaism, now catch this, ancient Judaism went out of business. And it has never been practiced the same since. Why? Because you can't practice that kind of Judaism without the temple. And the temple was torn down. So you couldn't do what they did in ancient Judaism. And here's the point Jesus was going to make, and the Apostle Paul would later say to the rest of the Gentile world, Jesus came to introduce something new to the world and for the world. But in order for that to happen, he lived under God's covenant, and he came into the world to fulfill the law. Now, here's the question for Jesus' audience that really came in contrast. What you're saying, Jesus, is so different from our past. How do we reconcile that? And many times in the message, it was recorded in Matthew, Jesus said, you have heard it said. He would use that phrase. And then he would say, but I say to you. In other words, here's what you've been taught, but I'm going to teach you something new, something different. Okay? He said, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say, don't even hate. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say lust is a sin. You have heard it said that you can just write your wife a certificate of divorce and then you're good to go with God, not so fast. You see, Jesus, on that Sermon on the Mount, it was a sharp change from where they had been. And over and over again, he pitched himself against the law of Moses and his audience sat there with their mouths hanging open. They couldn't figure it out. Wait a minute, you're saying that what we've heard from Moses is no longer something we do. Wait, you, you can't mean that. You're setting yourself up against Moses. Who do you think you are? It was Moses who came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and said, our nation is a unique relationship with God. It was a covenant with Almighty God, and that was true. And you're showing up and saying that somehow your law is better than Moses' law. Who do you think you are? 
And then he wraps it up with something so simple but powerful. And he said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. In other words, all these laws we've been following from the scriptures. Now I'm just going to sum it up right there. That's it. That's it right there. That's what I want you to do. Just follow that. He's saying, I'm telling you something new is coming. It's not as complicated, but it's more demanding. And then he goes on in Matthew 7 and it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Teachers of the law, temple leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, these were people who couldn't even get along with each other who taught. And Jesus comes along and all of a sudden, all those different groups have a common enemy and they all want to get rid of Jesus. They're looking at him and they're threatened by him because he's, he's teaching something new. It's going to change their way of life and they don't want that. And so they're going, we got to get rid of him. They kept saying, but the law says, but the law says, but Moses said, but the temple, the temple. And Jesus finally said to them something that blew their minds. And they said, oh my goodness, he has lost his mind. In Matthew 12, 6, Jesus said this, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And he's setting himself up to take the place of the temple. In Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them all and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, you talk about radical. That was radical. Not Moses, not the law, not the temple, not the Ten Commandments. This really rattled his audience. And he goes on, Therefore, since I'm the embodiment of the authority of God, here's what I want you to do. And that's when he gave them the Great Commission. Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm going back to heaven. What I want you to do is give your life to making sure that you share the gospel with other people. I want you to tell them the answer. You know the answer. I want you to share it. When they ask you a question, that's a chance to witness. When I give you a divine appointment, that's a chance for you to respond. This is a way for the whole world to know me because you've got the answer. You may work at a different job. You may be involved in other activities. That, that's just stuff around the periphery. The real reason you're still here on earth is so you can tell other people about God. Because when you get to heaven, you can't tell lost people about God anymore in heaven, can you? But while you're here, you can. And so you and I can take advantage of it, and we can do it. That's our homework. That's the Great Commission. That's Matthew 28. That's the main thing that we are called to do. They were praying for the Messiah to come in, take over, rule with power. He said, no, that's not the way it's going to work. He said, I've got a new kingdom and it's in your heart. It's a relationship that you can have through me with God. And I want you to share that with other people. It's not about Moses. It's not about the prophets. It's not about the temple. Rather, it's about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And after you've been baptized, you teach them and you obey everything I have commanded you. So the obvious question is, here's what you're asking. Well, what did Jesus command? We have to come back next week because I don't have time for that. But you come back next week and we'll talk about that, all right? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of giving us a front row seat to watch you work. You're the one who convicts, Holy Spirit. We're just there. We're just present. We get to watch you work. And you give us that privilege to be a part of seeing people come to you and live for you and love you and learn to walk with you. Lord, I pray that you would use us even with COVID. 
even in these days, that you might use us in a powerful way to be your witnesses wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever's going on, Lord. Help us to live for you and others to see Jesus in us for your kingdom, your glory, your sake, for their eternity. And all God's children said, Amen.